Yes, I knew Sister White. We will not fear. The kingdom is alive. The kingdom's on the move with the poor and the meek and the hungry and the lonely. I'll never forget it. I thought maybe we could start by uh, talking about the ways that this um, connects to some eternal themes for humans, what it means to be together in community, what it means to think about truth. When you're putting this world together and these characters together, uh, what was driving you as you're thinking about uh, the story that's in Silo? Uh, a lot of different themes. The the main one for me um, is the tension between Hobbes's idea that we needed we need strong, powerful oversight to be good to one another, and Rousseau's idea that if we just let people be, they'll they'll choose the best path on their own. Um, and I, I feel like the answer is somewhere in between those two extremes, and that balance is what um, Silo and Wool play with. Um, if you, uh, if you think one side is all right and the other side's all wrong in this series, you might be disappointed. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, that's an important uh, thing for us these days. There's so many, um, things that feel very contemporary in wool and in silo. And yet, obviously you're talking about philosophers who were debating these sort of things, what, three, 400 years ago. Um, can you maybe just, uh, give a nice little brief sermon on why we should care about philosophy and why it might help us these days as we think about narratives? Yeah, it's a little disappointing that we don't teach, um, philosophy and logic and ethics as a, a base subject anymore, but, you know, we've uncovered so many other things to teach, like back when these were mandatory, um, we didn't have this entire subjects that we teach now, but I, I think we're getting away from, you know, the most important stuff and leaving it to um, instruction at home. And these are conversations we should be having um, with people we disagree with. And I think that sensitivity um, to not want to deal with these uh, really interesting, not just, shouldn't think of them as sensitive topics, but really interesting topics, like how to treat each other, how to, comport ourselves, how to live our lives. Um, I, I wish that those were courses that we had in grade school right up through uh, through graduating. Like most of us only see classes like that in college if we seek them out now. Yeah, and they're few and far between. I think one of the best classes I had, I was uh, in the humanities, so lots of that was not as useful in a professional life than, you know, friends who took, you know, accounting, for instance, they just learned how to work in that discipline. But I took a class in critical thinking, and we critiqued op-eds. And I feel like if I was to, you know, put a class on every curriculum, it would just help people understand how to critique political rhetoric and see the lies that are in there. Yeah, that sounds like a fun class. Wow. Yeah, it was. So let's talk about uh, you. Uh, your gift uh, in this is really uh, 
allowing us to connect to these big ideas through some really interesting characters that we have to figure out if we trust or not. Um, can you talk about how you create people? It's sort of godlike, right? <laughs> yeah, um, I, I, I feel more like a passenger than than a god. Like I, these characters are kind of sweeping me up in their story and their conversation, and um, I feel like a reader when I'm writing um, good prose or a good story. I, I keep turning out paragraphs so I can see what happens next. Even if I have an idea of what happens, I want to see it play out. And um, so I get really swept up in the story. And that's usually a good sign that I'm writing something something uh, decent. Um, I try to draw on people and qualities in people that I look up to. So Juliet, the main character in this show, played by Rebecca Ferguson, is um, uh, one of my favorite tropes, which is the reluctant uh, warrior, you know, someone who gets thrust into a position of power but doesn't want it. And I've always loved that in fiction. You know, the people who seek out glory and power are less interesting to me than the people who just want to mind their own business, but responsibility is, is kind of thrust upon them. And so I kind of just started with uh, her being an underdog, um, her um, having a lot stacked up against her and a lot of unfairness, because that really makes us empathize with her position immediately. And put her in a position in which she's very uncomfortable and has a lot of responsibility and kind of the fate of humanity resting on her shoulders such an interesting bit of tension to to put a character that you really like and i hate to say it but as the writer i, I get to kind of torture characters and put them through the ringer and it, and it makes for interesting um reading but boy it's hard sometimes doing it to to characters you care about yeah, uh, I've heard uh, so many r writers that I admire talk about, they don't use the word that you used, which is uh, obviously um, being a passenger, but that sense that the characters sort of live beyond and they're pulled in. You said it wasn't godlike, but there's certainly an element there of the idea of inspiration. Um, do you write inspired or do you write like a machine and just sort of knock things out? I think the, for me, the inspiration comes when, when I'm away from the keyboard. Um, I'll be reading an article or I'll be on a walk or um, laying, usually it's laying in bed at night and just about to fall asleep and some like bolt of lightning idea hits me and then I have to grab the keyboard and make notes. And <clears throat> so I have kind of know what I'm going to write next time I sit down. And then um, I use my hours at the keyboard in a um, very like, uh, cracking the whip and and making sure I get enough words out. Um, if if you write just a small amount every day, it's um, hard to keep your flow and and really keep the story moving. For me, I find I have to write like a thousand to two thousand words a day to um, to have some kind of interesting scene take place. So it's a bit of being inspired and then sitting at the keyboard and doing the work. Hmm. Um, let's talk about this world that you created. Um, you know, the post-apocalyptic genre is really fun. It's hot these days. It provides a lot of opportunities for us to consider kind of these bigger ideas about humanity and existence. Um, 
you know, when you when you're kind of picking this world, thinking about what it looks like, what it sounds like, uh, how are you? What, what was there sort of a feeling that drove your artistic choices? Yeah, for Silo, I um, really wanted to create a confined space to. Um, so at, at the time that I wrote this, we, it was uh, 12 or 13 years ago when I started thinking about the story. And it was about when I've noticed how much people were really getting glued to their phones, to 24-hour news, to their laptop and computer screens. And what we were um, glued to was often a bad view of the world. It was, you know, how, you know the latest crisis, the latest catastrophe. Um, it's not that these things weren't happening, but that's most of what we were getting. And in reality, most of what was happening outside was people falling in and out of love and families, you know, doing, taking care of their kids and spending time with loved ones and doing hobbies that they enjoyed. Um, things that sound boring, but take up most of our time. And I just wondered, what is this doing to us thinking that reality consists mostly of catastrophe, um, which is not accurate, but uh, we're trapping ourselves behind this screen and just feeding bad news into our brains. And our brains are saying the world is like this and the world's not like that. And that is the um, the, the kind of the, the uh, thought experiment that led to the creation of the silo and the wall screen. And the story is an exploration of like what we're doing to our psyches by um, convincing ourselves the outside world is dangerous and terrible. And anyone who dares be optimistic or have a, a rosy outlook is, you know, ostracized. And that's how I felt. As an optimist, I've always felt a little ostracized by both political spectrums for suggesting that the world's getting better. Mm, yeah. Uh, the you, You're talking about kind of our situation today and how reality is mediated for us in ways that are often destructive. Um you know there's a there's there's a sense of of human spirit a kind of classic humanism in this um at the same time there's a real skepticism towards the idea of what we think of as truth um the idea that what's been kind of told to us is something that we accept just because it it works it's kind of a pragmatic vision for truth um you know, these are big ideas and yet, you know, this is fun. It's, you know, it's not, it's not sitting there listening to 10, you know, 10 lectures. It's uh, following people kind of probing these things and trying to do the right thing and explore the, their reality. Like we have to do every day. Um, can you talk a little bit about the way that you like have fun, how you inject kind of a, a sense that, you know, hey, it's okay to think about truth and, you know, throwing a little existentialism in there. But at the same time, you know, there's there's love and tension and drama. Yeah, exactly. The The themes that make you craft a story um, can't be what you write about. Otherwise, you should be writing a blog post or a, a thesis. Um, you You use those themes to set up a world and its conditions. And then inside of it, you need to tell a very human story. And in Silo, you've got, you know, a, a husband and wife um, just interested in having kids. And there's a might be a conspiracy about why they're not able to. It might be something out of their control. 
Mm -hmm. um, you've got people dying and people who uh, don't believe the official record about what's happening and start digging into it. So you've got some gumshoe, um, you know, private investigator stuff going on. So <clears throat> the important thing is to draw from a lot of different genres and tell the most interesting story possible. You know, you need you need romance, you need um, action and an adventure, and uh, and you need a mystery. And that's uh, those are the things that drive the show. And and the beauty of doing TV and the way I released the the book to begin with was very serialized is by having these separate um, entrants, you get to tell a different kind of story with each episode. Like this one might be a love story between two other characters who aren't going to be your main characters, or uh, it might be a mad dash to, you know, repair the generator that they rely on. And so you don't have to tell the same story every episode, which is a lot of fun. Yeah, I love that. It's kind of a throwback to the Victorian era when Charles Dickens was writing those novels as serialized uh, publications uh, for yeah, his readers. He invented the cliffhanger. Yeah. Um, I've got a question that, uh, you know, is a, a little uh, off topic here, but it has to do with writing and, um, and success and motivation. You're, you know, incredibly successful, massive fan base. You're obviously working in multiple media. Um, why do you like keep cranking out stories? You, you know, it, you could kind of do other things, chill, uh, pursue a life of leisure. Why, you know, <laughs> twist, you know, put your, you know, I write, it's painful. Um, why put yourself through that? Uh, 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 what drives you? It, yeah, it is painful at times to write. Um, uh, the, there's nothing. There's nothing that judges you more than a blank page as a writer. Um, uh, it's a. Uh, I enjoy it. When I started writing, it was as a hobby. I never thought I'd make a living at it. Um, I when I started publishing and making a full time job at it, I went at it really hard and was writing two or three books a year and spending you know all my free time um writing or doing something related to my career and i, I did take some time off because you know you uh, you pull from your life story to write and for me like once once i've told a lot of what was built up inside me i felt like i needed to go out and have more adventure and i um when i turned 40 i built a catamaran in africa and took off around the world on it spent five years just um having adventures and traveling and wrote some short stories during that time but basically like had to to change and and have new insights and those are the things that are going into the stories that i write now um so i think there's a healthy ebb and flow between kind of filling yourself up like a like a vessel and then dumping yourself into the page and then doing that uh doing that again hmm. well thanks for uh dumping all this out on the page this is a a, a really great i uh, opportunity for folks to reflect on um, uh, on themselves in a way in our position and and what it means right now to try to exist and understand reality. My my last question here. Thanks, you've been really generous, by the way, with your answers. Is um, you know when you're when 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 you're thinking of an audience, whether it's a friend who you hand off a manuscript to, or you know. 
you know, millions of viewers, millions of readers, what's a feeling that you hope they'll take away? Not just an idea, but a feeling. It's a great question. I don't know if I've ever had that question before. Um, I, I think the thing that I uh, love for people to find when they read a, a book that other people have read is a sense of belonging and community. And that only takes place when people who've watched the same uh, TV episode or film or read the same book um, talk to each other about it and realize that um, they saw something differently, but that there was a lot of universality to the story. Um, having sailed around and visited lots of different cultures, um, the thing that struck me the most is how similar we are everywhere. There's this universal um, human truth everywhere you look. Um, and it hit me while I was traveling that some of our oldest stories, like the Iliad and the Odyssey, over 2,000 years old, were written in a different language by a different culture. But when we read translations of them today, all the emotions in the story resonate with us. Like we understand the fear and the jealousy and the uh, the panic and the the, um, the, the lust and the like, everything in there is doesn't need translation you know um the, the emotions don't need translation and that fascinates me you know if we're a product of our culture this should be like an alien story but it's not and and so i think our commonality is much more powerful and stronger than our differences and we find that when we fall in love with the same kind of story i'm not ambitious enough to think when i'm writing that a million people will read this um i just hoped you know one person would read it and and could have a conversation with me about what they found there and it would be similar to what i found in writing it but with with the tv show it's been just this smash hit already and so many people are having conversations online about it and i am just loving every second of that it's what i dream about when i create story that it'll just foster a conversation and you know you and i are doing it right now like we're having a really cool conversation um, about something a lot more interesting than just the weather. <laughs> and that doesn't happen unless we find that, hey, we're both interested in this, um, in these characters, in this world, and in these themes. And let's sit down and have a, a discussion about it. Yeah. Wow. So true. Well, thanks for doing this conversation with me. And I really wish you all the best of luck as you continue to share these stories with the world. Thank you, Alex. Appreciate that. Take care. Cheers. We will not fear. The kingdom is alive. The kingdom's on the move when the poor and the meek and the hungry and the lonely 